Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On paper, you'd think this was going to be one hell of a train wreck. But then you listen, and you realize common sense doesn't have a party, an ideology, a stereotype, or a color. Can we be united again? Stick around, and we'll prove it. This is Doc in the Block. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Doc in the Block podcast. Normally, I'd be sitting next to the world's greatest music producer, but... He's on his way to Michigan State to watch his son Malik play this weekend. Today, we have one of the most amazing guests we have ever had on this show, and I know I'm going to be extra excited. Uh, Dr. J, the only true doctor in the room right now. Doc, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? So good. Happy happy to be here with you. I I appreciate you joining the show. We also have with us our other partner in crime, Veron Haynes, the greatest football player in the history of the world. Former Super What's Bowl going champ. on? Good morning. Good morning, hey. Doc. Good morning, morning both brother. Docs. Good morning. <laughs> where, where are you headed today, Veron? I am in Tuscaloosa and oh, heading nice. to Mississippi State for the game. Nice. Justice, uh, his son, is uh, killing it at Alabama. And so we're always having struggles these weekends because our two co-hosts are off traveling, watching their sons play major college football, which is very exciting. Anyway, Dr. J, so excited to have you on the show. Uh, I got I to gotta tell you a little story. My wife, um, you know, I, I deal with a lot of professional athletes in my line of work, a lot of famous people and everything like that. And I've kind of learned over the years that they're just human beings. Uh, they put their pants on one, one, one leg at a time, just like everybody else. But my wife does make <laughs> the comment that he, she said to me, man, you are such a fangirl when it comes to Dr. <laughs> J. And I, said, and I said, well, you know what? When I was a young boy, you yeah. were the man worldwide. And I don't think kids today understand, you know, the way it was with television and things. I was a little kid in Hawaii. Uh, I didn't even play basketball, but there was only three channels uh, on oh, TV. Wow. And the Philadelphia 76ers played every week. And me and all my friends we're blown away by the first guy that we ever saw do the iconic free throw jam from the, mm-hmm. from the free throw line. A lot of people think it's Michael Jordan. It was not, it was Dr. J and I can remember my friends and I uh, pretending to be Dr. J and trying to take <laughs> off from the, uh, so uh, that turn out. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I don't think I was ever to get, get able to get the net from underneath the net, but uh, that's another story. But uh, so I told my wife, you know, what? give me a little leeway here. You know, uh, I, yeah, I, I admit I am a little bit of a fangirl. But anyway, yeah. I digress a little bit. We're really excited to have you on the show today. And, 
you know, our audience is always interested in hearing the stories of uh, people, especially people who are super successful, because I think a lot of kids look and think to themselves like, well, I could never be Dr. J. I, you know, he was lucky. He didn't have any obstacles. He mm. just was given all these <laughs> gifts and made it straight to the top with no struggle. And of course, people, you know, that are in the know know that's not true. And yeah. so tell us a little bit about how you got your start and, you know, how you stayed uh, out of trouble and, and were able to ultimately be what I consider to be the greatest basketball player of all time. Oh, my goodness. Quite a quite a compliment. Thank you so much. And let me just uh, refer to uh, you coming from Hawaii and in my my meeting of um, pres- former President o- Obama and him saying something similar to what you said, that uh, like I was his guy or whatever. So now I got two uh, original. So he and I went to high school together. Hawaii, Shut the front door. I didn't who, who, who kind of like what I did on the basketball court. So that's really cool. That makes me feel yeah. real. No, I was, really, I was in the, feel really good. I yeah. was in the stands when Barry won the state championship in 1979. Cause we went to the same school. So awesome. Yeah. Doc, you awesome. feel it. Hey, Hey doc, it wasn't just Hawaii. It was all around. Come on. Everybody. You gotta, you gotta cross the Pacific to get to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was but, world, it was yeah. worldwide at the time when when yeah. when the world wasn't connected like it is today. I mean, kids just right. don't really not, understand what it was like, you know. And yeah. it wasn't there's a few like people, that. Scott, that changed that revolutionized yeah. sports. And yeah. definitely, Doc, you're iconic like that. So you're being modest, but yeah. thank you for your humility, kids. I learned something from him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, uh, you know, I was a Salvation Army kid, and. Uh, and I was telling someone a couple of days ago that the, the gymnasium at my elementary school had a ceiling that was maybe like 13 feet high and the rim is 10 feet high. So you didn't shoot long jump shots. <laughs> you, you know, you did everything around the basket. You drive to the hole and you rebound the ball and whatever. But when you got, when you got to the corner, I mean, there was, there was no way you could shoot a line drive shot and yeah. make it go in with a 13 foot ceiling. Or whatever. So that had an effect on my game. And uh, the beauty of that is that I was invited to go to the uh, Salvation Army. Uh, they had a church and a gymnasium. And when I walked into that gymnasium and the ceiling was 30 feet high <laughs> <laughs> after being in Prospect Elementary School's gym, which was 13 feet high. Whatever. I mean, all I could say was, "Wow!" You knew you, you know, had arrived. It was, it was the most <laughs> beautiful place that that I had ever seen, and and, and basketball, and uh, and that experience there, you know, through age uh, thirteen, uh, fourteen, uh, was probably the thing that got me, you know, hooked hooked on the love of the game, yeah, and the ability to play inside instead of outside, you yeah, know, just outdoor courts where you know and. and York. I mean, we had rain, snow, sleet, and hail, and whatever. And you know, kids, you know, we would go out and play like the kids do now, all year round. And uh, when you get a chance to play in an indoor gym, you know, that's that's really that's special a thing. Yeah, that's that's a special feeling. But, Doc, so, let me ask you this, Doc. What else? Like, you're so legendary in basketball, right? Mm-hmm. I want to know what else. You know, people talk about Plan A, Plan B. Yeah. What would be your plan B? Like, I know you'd be great at it, but did you have a plan B? Uh, well, so what would that be? Plan, plan B for me was graduate from college 
and uh, go into business. You know, so yep. I was I was a business school major. Uh, I ended up leaving school early after my junior year. Uh, but I went back and finished because I had promised my mom I was going to finish college. So even while I was a professional athlete, uh, you know, I was still uh, going to school. I went to camp school on campus the, the first year after I left. And then after that, it was a university without walls uh, program. So very, I very proudly say that, you know, I went to college in 1969, 68, 69, and, uh, and I eventually graduated in 1984. Uh, and, you know, so that was a long, hard way, but, yep. you know, between 71 and 84, I was playing basketball yeah. and, uh, trying to, you know, just establish myself and, uh, fulfill the, uh, the gifts, uh, that, that, that I was, uh, given by God. And, you know, let me just tell you that, you know, early on, uh, it was, it wasn't automatic with me. I didn't, I, I don't think I was confident that I could be a professional athlete till I was 20. Wow. So 20, you know, a lot of people, I mean, right now, you know, with NIL and, and, uh, you know, early departures from high school, high school, right to the pros, the one and done uh, situation. So guys, you know, they know when they're 14, 15, 16, that they're going to make it. I I really didn't know till I was 20 uh, because I always had a, a regional perspective and I always thought, well, I'm another one of the guys in this region who plays. And when I have a really good game, you know, we, we get celebrated. But I didn't have any perspective about what was happening around the nation and what was happening. Because they didn't have around AAUs the world. and stuff. No, yeah. there was no, no. The that, Salvation Army, we, we traveled. We traveled. Yeah. We traveled to New Jersey. We traveled to Pennsylvania. And then we would do New York. But we didn't go anywhere else. That's actually right. kind of that's actually kind of a really mature perspective too, because yes. you know normally it's the other direction. Like for me, I was uh, the Hawaii State Player of the Year in soccer. The year I graduated, I was two time state championship, mm-hmm. and in my mind, I was thinking I mm-hmm. am the next Pele. Mm-hmm. And then I got to UCLA, mm-hmm. and I barely made the team. And it's like mm-hmm. that realization that when you get and, and it's not just sports; it's anything. Yeah. When you get to where the really yeah. great people are, it's shocking at yeah. how good they are, and to kind yeah. of realize, like, yeah, I'm good for around here, but you know, I don't know what. <laughs> now, in your case, yeah. it turned yeah. out it didn't matter what five people they put on the court; you were still well, going to be the top dog. Yeah. When did you kind of get an awareness that, like? I'm pretty good at this thing. And- I, I think when I was 20, you know, I, it was my first varsity season in college. So we had a freshman team when I went to college. Freshmen weren't allowed to play varsity. Uh, so, you know, so we would beat the varsity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we didn't get credit for those games. We, you know, we kind of ran through the season. We were 15-0. And, 0, and uh, we, got, we got on the map in terms of UMass is going to have a pretty good team in the future. Uh, because Julius is there. Yeah. And uh, the next year, it was sort of a breakout season. I mean, I, I averaged 28 points, 21 rebounds. Yeah. You know, so that double-double in college. And I, and I maintained that average for my sophomore year, my junior year. And, uh, you know, there's only a handful of people who were 20-20 guys yeah. in college. Um, so I, I, I was selected as an alternate to go – into the Olympic development program, 1970, preparing for the 72 games. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about the Olympics. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I was really kind of a naive kid and, you know, nobody really sold me on it. And 
with what had happened in 68 in Mexico City yep. with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Alcinda not going and other top players not going or whatever because of the unrest that was in the nation. Yep. Um, you know, it was it was an afterthought. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think yeah. a lot of kids today probably aren't aware of that stuff, but with yeah. the, you know, social unrest that was yeah. rampant in the country in the late sixties oh, yeah, for somebody like a Lou Alcindor, these guys to not go to the Olympics, what an enormous sacrifice that was yeah. to, for something that they believed in. Um, that is, listen, we talk about it on this show all the time, having the courage uh, to do what's right all the time. And yep. I, I was living through those times and I kind of remember like, yeah. man, that's like yeah. you spend your whole life yeah. trying to get to the Olympics. And it <laughs> yeah. was a lot bigger back then. I mean, the Olympics now is, it's not the same as what it yeah, was back then. Yeah. More it was more commercial right now and guys get paid basically. But I mean, that, that's a big deal. When you see somebody that's at, you know, Dr. J's level of talent and ability and to say like, nah, I don't think so. That, yeah. that to me is uh, yeah. that's walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Yeah. yeah. If you don't, stand for something you fall for anything yeah and you know we talk about it on the show all the time things seem to work out in life when you have the courage to do the right thing even when you feel like it's going to hurt you in the moment yeah if it's the right thing it's going to benefit you in the long run yeah so now it's turn in terms of my journey i get selected as an alternate and i'm 20 yeah so i still don't have this huge international perspective about what i can do what I can't do and how good I am. <clears throat> I go to uh, Colorado Springs and I go to the Olympic development camp as an alternate. Somebody gets hurt and four alternates all get a chance. And I'm there and I'm in the dormitory and I'm listening to these guys and you know they're, they're talking and it's, it's uh, Paul Westfall and it's Tom McMillan and it's, Joe B. Wright and Cyril Baptiste and these, these guys who, you know, big name college players, yeah. and whatever. And they're all, they're all talking about, you know, the pro careers. And I'm like a sophomore in college. I'm not even thinking about the pros at that time. I'm just trying to be, you know, great college player, good college How player. How things have changed. So, 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 <laughs> well, and I'm hoping. So I make the team. We go to Russia. We play 10, we play 13 games. I lead the team in scoring and rebounding. Yeah. And I'm listening to these guys talk about their futures yeah. as a pro. And I'm, not even, I'm not even thinking about it. And now it's like the light bulb goes yeah. off. You know, I'm, I'm at least as good as these guys. Yeah. And I'm probably better because yeah. I'm leading the way. Yeah. And uh, and then I signed as a pro the next year. And What's so refreshing about that story is you came there as an alternate. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah. with your mindset, I mean, it's yeah. just – it yeah. all goes into what we, we we talk about every 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 week, Scott. Right, being ready to go, focus, laser focus as an alternate. Didn't let that sidetrack him. But sorry, I digress. Go ahead. Doc. Yeah, no, that was good. That's so that was good. Important. You know, with our yeah. audience, you know, if you're not all first team and you're not the star or whatever, you know, you still have a role. You still have a place, and you still should have an understanding that. You know, you want to continuously work on your craft and try to get to be the best you that you can be. And once you become that, you know, your place will be established. You're so right, because everybody wants that instant gratification right now. It's like, no, it's a process. Everything is a process, right? You just it just doesn't happen overnight. Like you don't blink your eyes and say, I become 
like Dr. J or yeah. I don't become Michael Jordan. I don't become you, yeah. it's it just doesn't work out like that. And you're gonna have your setbacks. You know, I mean I have a I have a scar on my on my right knee where playing sandlot football <laughs> I go out for a pass and I, you know we're we're in the sandlot in Long Island and I fall into some shattered glass from broken wine bottle or whatever it was and I drag my knee through it and whatever. And I look down, all I, I could see the flesh inside mm. my, in my side, my right knee, because I could open it up. And I ended up getting home. And mom takes an alcohol, starts dabbing it and cleans it up. And, you know, cause that kills me. <laughs> I, died. I died then, <laughs> literally. And then we go to the doctor's office and she, and they told her, take him to the hospital. So, so I had this surgery, uh, cause the ligament had been severed in my knee. I'm talking to the doctor yeah. about this, so you know about this. And uh, so then not only did they repair my knee at Meadowbrook Hospital, but they put me in a cast, and I stayed in the cast for, it, it seemed like six months. It yeah. probably was two months. And um, the next thing I know, I, I go from being the fastest kid on the block to the slowest, yeah. and I got these nicknames, you know, Peg Leg and Hop Along and all this kind of stuff because I had that cast on there. And the 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 redevelopment of that right leg, which was not my jumping leg, my left leg, my jumping leg or whatever was a journey for me, you know, and understanding how vulnerable you are. I mean, you know, the, the season ending injury yep. or whatever, this was, I wasn't even playing basketball when I, when I, when I hurt myself. So I was always wary of that, that that could happen. And I didn't fall into the trap of thinking I was invincible and I was set for life because I was formed being set for life. When we rewind the story, you know, you were talking about growing up in a fatherless household yeah. and you're in middle school. How did you stay out of trouble? How did you avoid the gangs? How did you, you know, kind of get this mindset about I want to go to college and I want to, yeah. you know, make something of, my, of myself? Yeah. You know, uh, academically, I mean, I was always B's and C's, you know, and then the smart, the smart ones were getting all the A's and whatever. So I was a little envious of that, but you know, that wasn't me. Me too. And <laughs> so, uh, and my mom, who was uh, an educator in South Carolina and, you know, had a, had gone to this, uh, Bettis Academy, which was like a junior college. And she used to be able to teach when she was in South Carolina. When she got to New York, her credentials didn't apply. So she couldn't teach. But she always kept the teacher's mentality. You know, my kids are going to be educated. They're going to, they're going to go to school. So after she and my father separated, he eventually passed. And, uh, our household, uh, in our household, I was the oldest male. So I had an older sister and a younger brother. And, uh, and being the oldest male, I mean, I never wanted to do anything that would make my mom's job harder than it already was. So when the, when the guys went the gang route and guys went to, you know, smash and steal and cars, whatever, I just, you know, I just didn't feel it. I just didn't feel like that was the right place for me to be. And that was what she wanted for me and also what God wanted for me. So, so being God fearing and following Martin Luther King Jr.'s words and his philosophy, uh, during those years in the fifties and sixties. Yep. Or whatever, I think it, you know, kept me from, uh, you know, doing, doing stupid stuff. So, so yeah. interesting. So interesting. Hey, Doc, uh, you know, you're so iconic and you're a legend to everybody. Who was some of your legends? Who was somebody yeah. you looked up to yeah. envied 
Yeah. So uh, Bill Russell, you know, I, I would put him at the top of the list. Uh, we met when I was in college at 19 and he extended the hand of friendship and said, call me anytime. And anytime, any day, anywhere, any any hour or whatever, you know, I'm available to you. So for him to do that, that was that was super special. And, you know, you passed within the last year. <clears throat> so we made that t- that friendship until I got into my 70s and he got to 86. Uh, so so he was there uh, musically. Um, you know, I guess Grover Washington Jr. was, you know, the guy who I love musically, I love Marvin Gaye and um, uh, and other musicians. But, you know, singularly, uh, Grover was the best jazz musician <laughs> in, in the world to me and, and always gave me a great escape from reality just to sit and listen to his music and let him, you know, he, he, he wrote Let It Flow after being inspired by me in a basketball game. We were just going up and down the court and whatever. And he says, hey, he called me the next day, come to my house. I just put something together, you know, after seeing you go up and down the court and dunking and and stealing the ball and doing all this. And then he came with Let It Flow, which was like, you know, one of those million selling albums. And um, and I think uh, in school, uh, you know, I always admired what Abraham Lincoln stood for. You know, the idea of him, you know, uh, freeing the slaves and uh, changing America and changing the perspective about uh, slavery in America and second class citizenship or whatever. So I was born on George Washington's birthday, <laughs> but he was he was never really a hero of mine, except they always talked about, you know, him never telling a lie. But he did chop down the cherry tree. <laughs> so I said, all right, I got to do a little George Washington. Here. I got to be I got to be honest with the folks. So so, so I had different people for different reasons. So I think that kind of a good summary here is, uh, you know, we talk about it on the show all the time with all of our big timers honoring your parents, you know, looking to something greater than yourself, keeping you on the straight and narrow, uh, not wanting to do anything that would make her disappointed in you keeps you on the straight and narrow Um, faith. You know, talk to me about your faith Uh, as a doctor, you know, we talk about on the show a lot, I came to faith late in life. You know, I, I was kind of, I grew up in that kind of Jimmy Swaggart area yeah. where it kind of seemed like a yeah. lot of these people were it hypocritical. It was salesmanship, yeah. right? And it yeah. took me a long time to realize <laughs> yeah. like these messengers are not God. They're not Jesus. They're yeah. not the good book. And as I got older into medicine and I saw people that were really going through what yeah. we used to call the unsolvable problem, you know, you got a brain yeah. tumor and you're going to die. Yeah. Uh, that's an unsolvable problem. But the people who had faith just always have an ability to deal with the problems of life. And by, you know, when you look at George Washington, I mean, um, Abraham Lincoln, you know, we think of him as being one of the great speech writers. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is Abraham Lincoln used to just take the Bible and put that, those words into his own words. And then we're like, wow, that's a great yeah. speech. And the reality is he's really just talking about what's in, in the Bible. He's, talk a, to messenger. Me about, you know, he's, he's a messenger. So talk to you me know, about so, your faith. So we were, we were baptized, uh, my brother, my sister and myself all around the same time. Uh, it was in the fifties and we went to uh, South Hempstead Baptist church and whatever pastor Reverend Evans, uh, whatever was, was one of the role models, uh, in our life. And, uh, I felt that, uh, I probably moved away and then came back, um, a number of times, 
But, you know, I've always, I, I consider myself to be a Christian. And, uh, you know, so I follow the, the will of God. I mean, I, I get, I get texts every morning from, from two people. Uh, one is a cousin, my cousin Jerry or whatever he, he says be the word. And, uh, and, and the other one is, uh, his son plays for Philadelphia. And I can't think of his name right now or whatever. So they send me the word. So I, I read the word every morning and, uh, at the start of my day. And then I take from that in terms of my journey, whether it's about peace of mind, whether it's about doing more hard work, whether it's about service to the community or whatever. So there's a there daily messengers who, you know, are the disciples of, of the Lord. And, um, you know, I, I've come to accept that. I think probably at age 29, you know, uh, which I was halfway through my career. Uh, during that time, and we had an influence on our team, a guy named uh, Bobby Jones. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby was just known as, you know, it's just a guy who was, who was set by God to play and to share with others. And, and, uh, and there was, there was a practicing, uh, ministry in, in the NBA, a guy named Bill Allickson. Uh, you know, he did the uh, pre pregame services, post game. He's still involved in my life. When I coach in the Big Three, Bill's right there. Yeah, you know, he's, he's still right there using uh, sports as a platform for the Lord. And uh, so the reminders are constant, and they're fluent and they're real. You know, it's interesting. My my, I have teenage daughters now, and you know, they've got issues going on in their lives and everything. And I always try to sit down with them and say you know, they're, they're going through something. I say, okay, what's the first thing we're doing? Let's the first thing let's sit down and let's pray. Yeah. And you know, let's pray in a way it's not give me, give me, give me. It's what do you want from me? What do you need from me? You know, help me see what, what my path is laid out for me. And then I, and then I kind of go on my phone and I try to type in and like, (laughs) what's a good verse for this one. Mm. And it comes up and then I'll sit down and talk to them. And it's so amazing to me that I see the power of how it affects their ability to, to deal with the world that they live in. It's comforting. And it's just, it's so important. Uh, And ever since we started doing the doc in the block podcast, I mean, it's kind of universal. Every one of our big timer mentors has some level of faith in there that really inspires their journey. Can you imagine just, just being the Lone Ranger out there? No. You know, the, that was, the Lone Ranger in life. And you just on a pedestal by yourself or whatever. That 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 doesn't work. I mean, that's an awfully lonely, lonely existence. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was going to talk about is community, you know, finding a good community of people to, to help you through the tough times. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't do this world alone that we need. Yeah. We need people that we can rely on. What was your community when you were young? Obviously, your basketball teammates, but where mm-hmm. did you where did you find that community where people would uh, give you support in a positive way? Well, I think there were there were three people: uh, Ray Wilson, who was my varsity high school coach, and he was my uh, assistant coach in college. Uh, a guy named Chuck McElwain and a guy named Earl Mosley. So, those were the three mentors who just made sure. You know, don't, don't do this. They, they, they had the don'ts and, and they were, uh, they were influences and they were also people with power because they were all in my school system. They were between the junior, senior high schools of Roosevelt, Long Island or whatever. Everybody knew who these three guys were, uh, because of their, their being educators, because of them being coaches. 
and and we listened to them. You know, we listened to them, and we knew that some of our privileges would be denied if we if we didn't, you know, kind of abide by the rules. And uh, and that that just established a nice foundation for me, and allowed me to to go out in the world and be an ambassador for my community, and, and to you know feel like uh, two months ago, I mean, we, we Nancy Lieberman, thanks to Nancy Lieberman Klein, we uh, we did a basketball, dedicated a basketball court, a dream court in Roosevelt, and there's another one that's going to be in Hempstead in October. So you know, it's coming up next month. Back. To do do different things that are giving back to the community and letting them know that you haven't forgotten about them because you know uh, they they're the ones who you know, who made you who you are. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the support. Hey, Doc, I got a question. Where do you uh, you're talking about <coughs> being an ambassador, and you've been an ambassador for the league for many years? Where do you see it going? Right, which direction has changed so many with the collective yeah. bargaining agreements and yeah. stuff? Do you like where it's going? One, and then two. Uh, who's next up? Right? Who do you like that's doing it the right way? Yeah, right now. Yeah, let me, let me answer that in reverse. I, I think my new favorite player is Mikael Bridges. Um, you know, he plays for Brooklyn, and uh, you know, which was my old team, my old ABA team, the Nets. And uh, I, I like his style. I like the way he plays. I like the way he looks on the court. I like the way he does his interviews. And I like the way that you know he does have a humbleness and a humility about him. Um, that you know his talent will. Uh, have an effect on because because uh, he's good and he's really good, but he hasn't been recognized yet for for how good he is. Um, so uh, I'm kind of Kawhi Leonard was my guy, you know, just too much load management. <laughs> I, I kind of started feeling like Kawhi didn't want to play. Right, he was like Kyrie. They, they didn't want to play. They just wanted to get the money. They want to play. I hear Kawhi, Kawhi is coming back. So he's not totally cut from from my list of you know guys who I like to watch play, but uh, Mikhail is taking that top spot. Um, in terms of where the league's going, uh, the the international component right now is as high as it's ever been. I mean, if you start naming the, the, the best players, and you, you start with Anatokounmpo, and then you got Luka Doncic, and you know, you, I mean, you know, the guys uh, who have come from overseas, uh, hungry. Hungrier than you know those who have been pampered a little bit and come you know been uh, played the prima donna's role or whatever you would have to say in the top ten guys five of them are from out of the country so that's fifty percent and it's never been that high before and it could go to sixty percent if guys continue to be asleep at the wheel. Heard it here first, but you uh, sorry, but kudos to you. For paving that way, I'm, I, I see, and, and and this is the part that these kids don't see now. The NBA went out on a platform, went overseas, went to different countries, playing, uh, 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 became this iconic dominance and global mm-hmm. icon. Uh, and then you know, you guys passed the torch on to Jordan, and all, and Jordan passed it on to Kobe, and and, and that played a important role in what you're seeing today. Yeah, and let so me. If we don't continue to, yeah, do our part. No, yeah, you gotta you gotta explore the world for the talent right now. I mean, it 
it's, it's, you know, it's like an open book. And just like with the Olympics, it used to just be for amateurs or whatever. You know, there aren't any amateurs in the, in the Olympics right now. You know, everybody's yep. on somebody's payroll. And, and before the USA allowed for pros to be, be in the Olympics, the rest of the, rest of the world was already doing it. Yeah. You know, cause the, their, their Olympic teams came from the military. And they came from uh, sponsorship by uh, the government from the time they were preteen. If they showed a, a, uh, a certain capacity to do something, then they, then they, went, they were followed through on and their parents were taken care of and the kids was taken, were taken care of. And we didn't have that system. You know, we had to go to go to elementary to go to middle school, go to high school, be an amateur and whatever. And, you know, just uh, it was up to your parents to make it any way, the way. they yeah. could. Right. And, uh, and then if you were lucky enough to become a pro, which is that, you know, single 1% or 2% of a big number or whatever, then great. But if you weren't, then you were, you were on your own. Yep. Kids today don't realize back in those days, the, you know, countries like the Soviet union and other countries like that yeah. used to take these talented kids out of their homes when they were children mm-hmm. and they would basically go to sports camp and they would just yep. be trained yep. and we All truly send our yeah. amateur athletes. And so when our basketball team was winning, you know, back in the day, yeah. it truly was our college kids against yeah. the best of the best worldwide. And, you know, I always think about the 1980s hockey team, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. they, I, I remember, I remember uh, one of the announcers saying like to fully understand how great of a victory this was, this is like a bunch of Canadian college football players beating the Pittsburgh Steelers, which at the time were four time Super Bowl champs. And I just remember being a kid like going, well, that is impossible. That could yeah. never happen. Yeah. And as I got older, you started to realize like, that's, that's how amazing that was. Yeah. And then of course, when we started allowing our professional basketball players in, in the Olympics, yeah. it was like lights out. I mean, and we could have fielded the top hundred teams, oh, yeah. you know, to win, to oh, yeah. win, win that. So yeah. that was amazing. Now, doc, uh, when you look back over your life, you got, you know, championships and slam dunk contests. And, you know, I, I, my whole life, you've always been like, let's talk about the greatest athletes who've ever existed. And your name is always on that list. When you look back on your life, though, what is it that gratifies you the most when you say this is a thing that gives me the most fulfillment or, you know, makes me makes me smile about my life? Well, Doc, you know, I had, I'd always try to keep the carrot out in front of me. You know, I mean, I want tomorrow to be the best day of my life. So all that stuff that has already happened, I mean, I can't change anything. And uh, I could revel in the discussions about, you know, sweeping the Lakers in 83 and, uh, you know, having the slam dunk trophy named after me yep, in, yep. in the NBA. And, you know, they're, they're special things. I, I got statues in Philadelphia, a statue up at the University of Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, so there are things that we can have conversations about. But in terms of what I feel in my heart is that the, the next day is the most important day in my life. Yeah. For the, me, me to be ready to meet whatever the challenges are the next day, because, you know, I mean, I have kids, I have grandkids, I have a wife. I got a, I got a very good family life and whatever, but I feel like I'm the patriarch of the family or whatever. So they still look to me anytime things come up and, and, uh, my phone rings or I get a text or I get an email 
and uh, they want to know my opinion about it. And uh, lots of time it's about funding, financing, and financial issues, social issues, or what have you. So I, so I, so I enjoy that, and I and I enjoy the anticipation that tomorrow makes me want to, you know, get a good night's rest and and be ready to take on that challenge because it is a challenge. So so I'm all about you know tomorrow being the best day, and the past is the past. The, you know, these are words of wisdom, and you know we talk about. Uh, you know, wisdom is the knowledge of things that never change, you know, and that's why this kind of aggregation of knowledge over time is important and why we have sayings, you know, the early bird gets the worm, you yeah. know, be forward thinking person, you know, yeah. don't rest on your laurels yeah. <laughs> and things like that. And that's what gives you the spice of life. And, uh, you know, I would just tell you, I haven't known you that long, but one of the first things you notice about Dr. J is he's an incredible gentleman and a very nice person. And, you know, we talk about on this show all the time, generosity and kindness uh, is the real fulfillment in life, you know, and figuring out ways. How do you help other people? You know, you you know, we talk about on this show, you want to get control of your own life and be able to take care of yourself, but also get to that point where you have the strength and you have that extra so that you can help others that that maybe can't help themselves. So important. So important. That's the kind of man you are. Yeah, it's no it's not worth it unless you can share it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a shared experience. And, you know, going back to, to Bill Russell, extending the hand of friendship and saying, you know, I, I see a lot of potential in you. And if you ever need me, call me. You know, so I used to call him and he'd always say, what's up, Doc? <laughs> we start with our conversation and then we start with the subject of the day. And, and you know, we played a lot of golf together and we did a lot of nothing, just, just, just dinner and chatting it up and listening to him laugh and cackle and whatever. And, you know, I mean, he was the greatest champion in the history of the NBA yep. and, and probably all of uh, yeah. sports. Was he know, like 11, 11, 11 championships, championships in 13 yeah. years or two as, as a player coach yeah. uh, or whatever. So he didn't have to do that. So if I could touch somebody's life in that capacity, if I could just sit and be that type of hero or that type of you know, night in shining, shining armor for some young man or some young lady or whatever, then I'm in part fulfilling, you know, something that was afforded to me. Hey, hey, I got a, I got a, I got a question for you, Doc. <laughs> the league was different, right? So yeah. the first time you met Mike, uh-huh. MJ, like, I'm, uh, uh, <laughs> what was your thoughts? What was your initial thoughts? Like, Give it to us the real. Like. So, uh, so Bill Russell always, you know, he used to, he taught me because, uh, they, they, um, they used to ask him, what was it like first time you played against Kareem Abdul Jabbar? Yeah. He said, you're asking that question backwards. You should be asking him, <laughs> what was it like playing against me? <laughs> I'll give you the same answer. We're, no, we're no, going to no. go find Mike and ask him what it was like no, playing no, against no, me. I did it. I get it, but you guys have paved the way. So, but there's some other kids doing it a different kind of way with, because yeah. not a lot of people gave. You know, he was he was a little different than you see him now. Well, right? well, in the you know when when Michael came into pro basketball, I had played 13 years yeah. already. So you the vet. So oh, wow. So so I had already gone through it. I had gone through. The beginning, I've gone through the peak, and I've entered into the the, fight, the finale. You know, the fourth quarter 
uh, of the career. So, uh, so when he came in, um, yeah, I, I saw the promise in him, but that first year, you know, he got hurt and he uh, broke his foot. Yeah, he broke his foot. So, yeah. you know, so we only saw, you know, part of who he was. And I guess just like with that setback on my knee, you know, he came back better and stronger and, uh, and more wary of his own vulnerability. And by being aware of his vulnerability, you know, he, he served it up <laughs> every night saying, I got to get this done right now, man, because I this, this might not be a long term journey. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But to your point, I wasn't at I, 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 not his talent. I'm talking about, you know, like how we. I just can't listen to the all the music today. Yeah. Right. Because it's a different genre than I grew up. With. I like my. I still like my R&B. <laughs> yeah. you know? Right, 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 right. So, yeah. so they're doing it a different way. So my initial thought was, uh, I'll slowly get into that and because of the kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got to hear it. Yeah. So now when you see a kid, especially coming in, how he came in, flashy, because Mike wasn't always suit and top. In the 80, 80, 80, 80, 84, when he came in, right? He was, you know, wearing his Jordan suits and, and, and everything else. So your initial thoughts on just seeing him, because I know Isaiah had some stuff, and everybody yeah. has a different yeah. perspective. So well, yours. It's, it's funny because, you know, I was given a book a couple of days ago <clears throat> about NBA players and their styles, so they had everybody in there. Artist Gilmore and fur coat and big fro. <laughs> they had me in there. They had Allen Iverson with the with the with the braids. Braids. And uh, you know, some people with uh Gerald Dawkins with the jewelry. And uh and so in looking at the book, all these all these photographs are in there. And uh and Michael they had him with the long shorts because he kind of you know brought the long shorts to the game because he had his North Carolina shorts underneath. Underneath, shorts. yep. That's what he claimed. Uh, anyway, and, um, the, uh, so I, you know, I didn't pay particular attention to what the other guys were doing. Cause I mean, he, you know, Michael was coming in and he was, uh, con- he was kind of conforming to the status quo because the game was a whole lot different in 84 and it became in 94. And then now, you know, 2024 who knows what's going to be <laughs> who knows what's going to be going on out there or whatever so so it wasn't that much of a distance before uh between us but there was that you know three-year overlap and uh and during that time you know i i saw him uh ascend and uh and at that time he wasn't even the best player in the league you know right. larry bird was the best player in the league i mean that right. 83 84 i was at, i was in 81 Moses Malone was in 83 and Burr was 84, 85, maybe 86, I think uh, three years. And Michael's first MVP maybe came in 87 or 88. And that was the years when Detroit was the dominant team. So, you know, so, so it didn't happen overnight uh, with Michael where he got all and everything at the same time or whatever. And it was a career and it was a, a 13 career and it was second to none. Uh, or whatever, but you know, when you're a veteran player, as you know, 
you know, you ain't worried about no rookies coming in. <laughs> right, right, right. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta jump in there, Veron. Now, Veron and I are always talking about the the uh, LeBron and Michael argument, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm about ten years older than Veron, so I remember yeah. your, you know, I watched you through your whole career, yeah. and you know, then it was kind of bird and magic, you know, then Michael kind of came along, and then yeah. after that. Yeah. I didn't really care because to me, those were those because I'd yeah, seen those, them all. Those were you, yeah, you, you, them all. Yeah, not only yeah. that, but those were the players. I've seen them yeah. all. And yeah. let me tell you something. People don't understand that Dr. J was the first guy to be taken off from the free throw line and jamming. That's not a Michael thing. That's a Dr. J mm-hmm. thing. And yeah. the way you used to be able to palm the ball off the dribble, I'd yeah. never seen anything like that. Nobody had ever seen anything yeah, like Connie that. Connie Hawkins. Used to, yeah. yeah Con- he Connie used to, Hawkins. You, you used to do yeah. the uh, one step from the wing and fly yeah. to the basket and then come in underneath. And de- that's not Michael. That was, that was Dr. J. And Dr. so – uh, he listen, learned his game from you. I yeah, listen, <laughs> the air, the the plane in the air, that was Dr. J. And I can just remember my friends and I being out on the court and just Dr. J, everybody, Dr. J, I'm Dr. J. Give me the thing. I'm Dr. J. And of course, nobody was Dr. J. And yeah. the idea that, you know, 50 years later, I'm sitting here talking to you yeah. is absolutely it's blessing, amazing. Right? It's a blessing. You're, yeah. you're an absolute big timer. You've yeah. been so generous with your time. Thank you so absolutely. much for being a part of the podcast. And I hope we can have you back on in the future oh yeah we'll do it um we'll and we're gonna it. get out on the golf course pretty soon yeah uh that's a definitely want to do it's a threesome that. we just gotta yeah. add, throw victor in yeah or, we'll get victor or, or somebody or, there we go. or the block yeah i don't i don't <laughs> know if block plays stuff, but we gotta hey, get out hey, 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 that's e z easy but he'll get out there with us but uh i love it man yeah we definitely have to do that and you guys have a blessed weekend man yeah thank you it's, you too thank good you for son. coming on yeah good yeah. luck you to justice officially a big timer awesome. all right everybody follow awesome. us at uh com. that's b-i-g dash t-i-m-e-r dot org big timers dash dot org uh DocintheBlock.com. We'll be here next week. Everybody have a great weekend. We are out.